Yeah, it was uh, yeah Bruce McDonald, and then free agency, all that. But then right after that, they just blew blew up the team. Oh, it it's like the cool. team just they they didn't keep it, and I didn't know about free agency and how, how all that stuff works. Right. And I was just thinking, man, I it was I all it was all or nothing with <clears throat> with the Wayne Gretzky deal. Yeah, right. yeah, and it and it was like they didn't win it now. Whether they want it now or later, they knew that their future was doomed. Right. And I don't know. Here, let's tilt that up a little bit. I think you need to be on the face. Oh, is like it like you, that? Yeah. I thought it had to be on the top. Uh, towards me. Oh, there you go. There. Is that better? I think so. Yeah, you're in. Cool. Um, yeah, it, it was exactly that. And I felt, I don't know, man. I was like a loyalist. I was like, dude, you guys were, I mean, what more do you want? You made it to the finals. Give it another year. Right. And they... It's kind know. of like, and it's, you've seen the same thing happen in football too. With, I mean, it's the C, the Seattle Seahawks had the perfect storm when Russell Wilson was in his rookie contract, and they were able to pay everybody around him. Right, right, right. And then when he had to sign up for his big contract, they just started losing guys left and right, and now they're garbage. And I'm a little bit worried that the Rams are going to be in the same situation because. Yeah. Goff, he's in his rookie contract, so they don't have to pay him anything right now. They got their running back. They got the receiver. Their tight ends in a rookie contract. Um, but on the defensive side, they've mm-hmm. got Aaron Donald, who's in his rookie contract, but he's holding out already. Mm-hmm. And they signed Indomitian and Sue. I'm like, oh, they're like loading it up as like all, all or nothing. Right, they're either going to win the Super Bowl, they're going to win the Super Bowl, and then have nobody left over because they won't be able to pay anybody. Well, how, how was that year they had last year? I mean that was that it was, was a close. surprise. And it was the same kind of deal. They're just going to play off of that. Y- yeah, I know. Everybody was on the rookie deal last. They were they were a young team, right? Which I think is your hope, like, right? That that they do keep them together. Even the coach, right? That's the thing. Everything's brand new. New stadium, new coach, new team. I mean, they pretty much nuked it uh, the the year before that. And I I don't know. We'll we'll see because they got us. They got far in this thing. Mm-hmm. So. Do they want to win or do they want to get paid? Right. And that's, that's going to come down to, I think, the organization's doing the right thing, with, the, with for the most part, to win now. Mm-hmm. And then the players are going to have to, you know, they're either going to play. They're going to play for themselves, which in a team sport, that doesn't always work. It's pretty detrimental. Right. But there's value the with winning, though. There's there value is, There's winning. value with winning, but it, the guys try to up their own personal stock because they're not loyal to the team. Because teams are not loyal to players anymore. Right, right. And that's the problem. That's the problem. I mean, it's so bad in every sport. In fact, what, what was the first sport that you could recall that started free agency? Was it baseball? Did it start? I don't know. It yeah, seems I mean, like I remember free agency. Yeah, ever since you ever were born. Since I was, yeah. yeah. But I, like, it became a big thing because, I mean, think about the old Showtime Lakers. All those guys, even Jordan. They all stayed with one team. Right. I mean, you can't count the Wizards. He's already yeah, retired yeah. and old. But all these guys, they stayed with one team, the the Bill Russells, the Kurt Rambis, the um, Larry Birds, you know. Right. But once free agency became a thing. There was like, no loyalty to teams. There's, there's no The rivalries died. Dynasties. Dynasties. Unless you're Dallas right. in the mid-'90s or Boston right no. now. I mean, for me, the big – the big sign that said like that there was no loyalty was when Brett Favre left the Packers, right? <laughs> they were like, 
Well, right. no, he, even no. they cut him out. They cut he he didn't have any time left. He's an exception he though, but he wanted to play. He and wanted he, to he play. He became detrimental. They 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 drafted, you know, Aaron um, Rodgers. Yeah, they drafted Rodgers. It's like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, you're gonna have this All American sit on the bench, or are we gonna just let old man, you know, Favre run the? I mean, you it, have to work it out. Right, so where he, I he, think he they gets were paid, he gets paid and goes off to the pastures, or becomes a coach, or just whatever, whatever something that he agrees to. That's a thing. But I don't they think just, he wanted to play, and then they just cut him loose, and then he went to go. I mean, he went, for, he stopped off of the Jets, but then he came over and played for the rival, and that's for me. That was like, wow, teams and players, they still the, all the whole loyalty to each other is. Favre raised the exception, though. Favre, yeah, Favre raised the exception. Because, I mean, that was the thing. Is he sticking around? I mean, what, he was in his 40s. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is unheard of. And for the record, Favre is one of my all-time. Same here. I love that dude. Yeah. But it got to the point. It's like, come on, man. Right. You got you got to let it but go. But you can't say you weren't pulling for him when he in his very of in his course. last game or sec, or the last playoff run against the Saints. Of course. <laughs> of course I was. But I mean, I understand. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that a loyalty thing with the Packers. I really wouldn't. I want. I w- I would have liked to see him step down, become a coach. But he just he wanted to start. Right. He wanted to be that that highlight right off into the sunset, being the starting QB for uh, you know I the know Packers. And, right. Um, so the Packers. He, he's he's the exception. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't really chalk that up to a loyalty thing. But you have let's 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 kind of change sports. You have basketball, and then it runs rampant over there. It's right. I mean, Mitch Kupchak gets so much just junk for the, being the GM that he was with the Lakers. But dude, he kept Kobe on the team through all you know through his whole entire career. Right. Who does that anymore? You know, I guess Dwayne Wade. Wait, did Dwayne Wade finish with? No, he he got traded, didn't he? Did he leave and did, then go back the, or no? The, the Heat? Yeah, I don't see. I, I can't I remember. Know. If I can't keep up. Back. Yeah, I don't know. And, and see, I stopped. I stopped keeping up. And that's that's my problem with sports in general with the team sports. And in fact, because a lot of times I I've been teaching or training at night. I've been doing that for about ten years now. So because those are at night, I've slowly kind of detached from the team sports, except for you know, and well, even football, even though it takes place on the weekend. Following it is a, you know, it's a, it's a job. It really is. And then I was listening to, um, the only reason reason why I'm so involved quasi involved is because I play in a pool, right? Exactly. I gotta know, I gotta know who to pick and who to start. Yeah. How many points is that? Yeah. But, but the fun thing about that is it puts interest in games. You really have like, who cares if the two cellar dweller teams are playing against each other. But if you have a player, it's like, Come on, man! I need three more catches. Mm-hmm. Three more catches. Yeah, I play golf with my buddies, and they play. They're in the fantasy football. I, think I just play a pool that's like you pick the winner of the game, you put some points on it, and it's like over twenty games. Okay, but, wait. Is it confidence? Is it confidence pool? No, it's it's one way do at work. Oh, okay, right? it's like on an Excel spreadsheet. It's pretty cheesy, but dude, I got to get you in next year's. We we have but it's, a, fun. it's it's not big enough to be called a pool because it's only like. I don't know, five of us maybe. Yeah. We call it a uh, we call it a puddle. So you we, we got to get you in on the puddle. Man. I'll, I'll get in on that. Uh, yeah, it's fun. So what we do is co- confidence points. This is for the NFL to where you have games one through sixteen in the opening season, but mid season, you know, not yeah, every right, team drops down. So 
And you do a point one two. Okay, yeah, that's the same. That's same what thing, we do. Right? Same thing. Yeah, but we do twenty games because we'll, they throw in some college games, and there's so there'll be twenty games every week. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, that's kind of cool because you, you're vested in college now right. too. And those ones are the coin toss games for sure. Oh, I know. Yeah. College and is it, wild. And when it gets college into the end wild. of the season, like when the the big um, conferences are done, and you still have like the random schools you've never heard of before mm-hmm. division two and some random schools that went that it gets really coin toss <laughs> right well by association you, i mean you, you have, can google and start doing some research but well yeah and depending depending on how far how, how, how crazy far you, you yeah. get into it um but you're you're associated uh with sc uh by way of relation uh, your oh, brother yeah. your brother-in-law so uh, do you do you ride that bandwagon or do you needle them with ucla you know, it's kind of weird. Um, I actually worked at both schools. Oh, you I did. worked at USC and I worked at UCLA. And when I was at when I was at UCLA, it was like I I wanted to be associated with USC, right? USC was bigger, stronger, faster, better in football, all that stuff, and so it was cool. So we're talking. What are we talking? Early two thousands, Pete Carroll. Is it uh, the Pete Carroll era? Yes, definitely. Yeah, okay. it's early two thousands. This would be in two thousand, like four ish when i started at ucla okay and i remember i showed up on my first day at work with a usc shirt on at ucla yeah but i wasn't getting i wasn't getting paid by ucla it was for a contract that that had to be by design you're you're very thought out okay (laughs) so it was cool to be a usc fan while i was working at ucla and then when my project ended at ucla and i moved (laughs) over to usc it was like, well, I've spent all this time. I've actually spent a lot of time at UCLA. And oh my then God. it went to, <laughs> I was almost a UCLA fan while I was at USC because, I don't know, I just like didn't. You love stirring the pot. Yeah, I was kind of like, I didn't want to be the, what everybody around me was. Right. So were, were you, growing up, were you a pot stirrer? I guess. You, so. you told me one story where you drove your sister nuts. Like when you were growing up and you had some gash and like oh something yeah you had a big cut and then reina i need i need to go to the hospital yeah yeah and she ended up freaking out and you pretty much drove yourself yeah is that how it went i was i was on the phone with some girl and um i was in like i had a duvet cover for my bed and i'm it's it's like a pillowcase for a comforter okay so i'm inside of it trying to get the blanket inside the duvet cover and I'm on the phone. I didn't realize I was kind of wandering around the room while I was inside of this thing. Mm-hmm. And typically I would just kind of flop down like a tree, like timber onto the bed and then <laughs> shimmy my way out of it. I didn't realize I'd moved around the room and I went straight down and I hit my face on a lamp post. Oh my goodness. And immediately got out and there was blood. Like I'm inside this, bl- this pillowcase of a blanket thing and it's like blood everywhere. And I'm, Ran outside my room. My older sister was in the bathroom. I'm pounding on the door. I'm like, hey, I need to go to the hospital. She's like, no, no, no. It's I'm going to the bathroom. Uh, you know, kind of boy cried wolf. I'm always playing games with her. <laughs> and I kick the door down. And I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. And my face is covered. Well, you can see where my, the whites of my eyes and my, and my teeth. And oh, she man. panicked. She's screaming around like a chicken with her head cut off. Uh-huh. And uh, she doesn't do well at the sight of blood. Yeah, she's in the medical industry now. And now, right? yeah, now she's in the medical industry, and I she's running around I like heard. screaming. And I just finally drove myself to the hospital. Oh, oh my goodness! Yeah, that was a funny story you were telling me about that. Um, going back to the team sports, you're you're very much into team sports, but did you play team sports growing up? Because yeah. you did. So yeah. what? Baseball. I played baseball and football. 
Oh, like, okay. Um, my whole life. Okay. Played football in through high school. That's actually why I went. I went to Bishop of Mont, which is in La Puente. Oh, right. I should have gotten to Glendora High, because um, I actually went to public school for elementary school and then junior high. And um, at the time, Glendora High School's football team was garbage. I think they still are. And Bishop of Mont. And is, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to play. So I went over there and um, kind of guided me to that school. And it was crazy how that sport drove me there. And at the time, I didn't quite understand all the rules that I'd gotten myself. And I, I chose myself to go to that school. And, and they had rules like you couldn't believe. Shave well, your face, pull up your pants. Every, I mean, okay. you look wrong. Here's, here's an hour of detention, right? So I got detention like there was no tomorrow oh, wow. while I was there. But what it helped me out later on in life was like, I look back now and I'm super grateful for that. And a lot of it was because I chose to play football. Really? Right. Well, otherwise I would have just went to Glendora high, but yeah, I played football growing up. So they had, they had all those rules and regulations. They're pretty much a higher standard for the football players, for the, the athletes. And everybody in the school had to abide by the rules. Okay. Everybody. Mm-hmm. It was more like if you're on the football team, the football team was the enforcer of those in their own, in their own way. Okay. Right. So you get detention. And then, of course, you also had to pay with running or doing whatever. Or there was all sorts of the will of the coach. Yes. Right. And so it was crazy. So and and the reason why I asked that, because you never lost contact with the physical aspects of playing sports. I mean, you, you obviously you love to follow the sports and but you yourself are an athlete. You uh, just got done competing or or, uh, completing an Ironman triathlon this just this past weekend. Right. You still got to be sore. Are you sore? No, mm. not at all. You're totally recovered yeah, I'm from fine. That. Actually, the, the most painful part af- afterwards, like a, the day after, right. was probably a sunburn. And I should, you know, <laughs> hindsight now, I was like, I really should have put on some, take the extra 30 seconds to put on sunscreen. Oh, my God. So it was the sunburn yeah. that hurt the most. I would have never thought of that. So it's kind of kind of funny when we were talking about and the chaffed nipples i would have never thought of that either yeah that's that's but real i, I know yeah, that's real i know i heard i thought my buddy who who ran one it was a old marine corps friend of mine he was telling me yeah my nipples were killing me i'm laughing he's like no i'm serious yeah they bleed if you're not that, they, if you're i not never prepared. really had that. i mean i've had that during training but i never had that during a race okay but it's kind of funny how yeah. when we decided we were going to do this over like a facebook thing that we've been friends for a year now how are we going to celebrate and when we said a podcast, I thought, okay, well, I should at least think of something to say when we come here. <laughs> and over the la- the last year of my life has been has been like insane. Um, but it's really weird how it all kind of like ties back. So I started, I was an athlete growing up my whole life, and then I went on to college, and like, boom, sports stopped, right? But I was still like, gave everything I did one hundred and ten percent, right? It was just that 110% became partying, right? <laughs> oh, man. So whatever. Right. It was cool. Most college kids go that route. Sure. But I went 110% and I was partying like a wild animal. It was all good, kind of. I was definitely I was definitely pissing people off. But um, graduated, had a situation um, with my, my sister where I kind of got into a little bit of an altercation with her. Okay. Um, Actually, I'll just, we were, she went out with her boyfriend one night and, um, I was like, Oh, be home by, by midnight. And they didn't come home till like one o'clock in the morning. 
but I thought it was just pure funny. I wasn't trying to be like intimidating or anything, but it was just my drunk ornery humor. thought it was funny that <laughs> I would have like my shotgun out when he came home oh, or no. when they came home and I could be like, you've heard the story a million times. Like, Oh, when I have a daughter, I'm going to have my shotgun out when right. she goes out on a date. Well, I, I actually did that. And this is early twenties at this hour, late teens. This is kind of like, um, mid twenties, mid twenties. Okay. So yeah, this is going to end well. Alcohol. Yeah. It blew up in my face. You know, my mom and my sister gave me the riot act and it was more or less like I could see that they were super disappointed in the person that I had become. Right. So So you're just playing a goof. I was so an you, asshole. Like, okay. it wasn't even a goof. It was just an asshole. Like, not even sugarcoated, right? Okay. Luckily, I never got in any trouble, like drugs or, you know, jail or Felonious DUI acts or, or anything. Right. right. But uh, they, I could see that they were disappointed who I had, I had become. E. And it was like a mark in my life. It was like, bam. Right? And at that mo- moment, I was like, I'm done drinking. I'm done. I'm not going to lose the love from my family because... I like to party. Right. So it was an eye opener. And then immediately right after that, like my choice of drink was beer. And, um, so I was fat, I guess, you know, fat ish. Okay. And I dropped like 20 pounds, like super quick, just from super quick beer, just from stopping beer. Your body wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. And, um, then I was like, okay, cool. Like that was a really cool benefit. And then, I'm like, you know, what am I going to do with all this free time? Mm-hmm. So the free time turned into, I went out and did a mud run, right? And I was like, okay, cool. That, w- that was kind of fun. And the mud run got through that one and then got turned into it like a, what's called a tough mud run. It's like 10 mile mud run. And I started just getting super active into sports. Like these adventure races? Yeah. Okay. And right, right at that same time, I started skydiving. Oh wow! Okay, so right. you went you went right into all this extreme adventureism. So you took your 110 percent of football, went into 110 percent party. Now you're going 110 percent into adventure racing, exactly. or I mean, extreme sports, I guess. Yeah. So I got into, into skydiving, and it's it was incredible. Actually, well, I w- wasn't looking to get into skydiving. And see, what trips me out about this, the reason why I asked that question about if you play team sports is because all of this now is. I mean, I guess on one hand, you can call it a natural route because it's all pretty athletic, adventurous and stuff like that. But a lot of times people just, oh, there's a rec basketball league, you know, in my neighborhood or there's a a softball league or, a, you know, 30 and under baseball league. You you didn't stick with the team. No. You know, the team routes. You you actually start going individual. Right. And most of it had to do with I was already engaged to my wife. I was working a lot. I just didn't I didn't have time to be committed to anything. If it just took whatever little free time I could grab here and there to do what I wanted to do. And um, a lot of that, a lot of my free time and my free money went to skydiving right out of the gate. Did it one time, did a tandem with my wife. Okay, so backing up a little bit, what made you think, okay, Tough Mudder, that's that's one thing. I get it. It's pretty accessible. Yeah, let's do a Tough Mudder. Sounds fun, you know. But then at what point, bro, I'm going to jump out of plane. Yeah. I mean, what what is that even, how does that even cross your mind? Wasn't something I was looking to get into. It's Mm -hmm. not, I don't think most people that are in it ever thought they were going to get into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was just going out with, with my wife and one of my coworkers to just go have a, a really cool day. Right. And 
we went out and did a tandem and then we went back to our office and my coworker and I were like trying to round up people like, Oh my God, this is so cool. We got to do this. We got to do this again, but we're going to beat everybody to the punch. So you went with Alicia first. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. yeah. So my- that was your first jump. Yeah. Oh, for some reason I thought she didn't, she didn't go until like you were well into this. No, okay, no, we jumped so- together for the first time. Oh, and uh-huh. the picture from it actually turned out to be like our wedding, whatever, save the date picture. Oh, right on. But, um, the, the guy I work with, we w- went around and we were telling everybody, oh, we're going to go do, we're going to get a whole office together. And we're going to do tandem day drop zone. It was really cool, but we're going to beat everybody to the punch while they're all doing tandems. We're going to go secretly jump solo. So we're going to be the cool kids, right? <laughs> right? So the day came and we were the only two that showed up. Like nobody showed no up. One, so oh, we just went ahead out. and did it anyways. Right. And then it turned jump one turned in. Okay. Well, you have two, two like uh, instructors on each side, okay. but that's not really jumping by yourself. Okay. So then you, know, you got to progress and get to jump two, three, four, and you get down to one instructor, five, six, seven, and then like seven and eight, you have kind of an instructor jumps with you, but it's not attached to you. And then, by jump nine, you can jump completely by yourself. by yourself. Right? You open the door and you jump. Awesome. You get, but then you can't jump. You see like all the other guys on the plane. They're all jumping us friends together, and you're like, well, now that I can jump by myself, I want to. Now jump. I want to jump with my friends. <laughs> right, right. So we got all the way to our license. We pounded it out and we got our license in in over the course of one month, which is. Uh, we did it in March. So it's pretty crazy because the weather in March sucks, especially for students. You can't jump in a lot of the weather conditions, but we were, I mean, we were playing hooky from work and all sorts of stuff and getting our license. Um, and before you knew it, I was kind of just like drug into this thing. It's kind of was quasi like it is a sport. And to me, it was like, there was goals. Like here's my next goal. Here's my next goal. Here's my next goal. Here's my next goal. So it kept me super involved. Right. It and, captured your imagination, took right. your focus. I mean, right. you know, packing a shoot, it seems like it's it's a very meditative, um, you know, act. Because you have to, like when, when we went jumping, and I'm in, man. I got the bug. I can't wait to do it again. But it trips me out. It's like, I need to learn how to do this. But that itself just... It, that's that's scarier than jumping out to me. Me folding my own shoot. Yeah. But then the idea of what? So you're gonna have someone else that you don't even know right. folding your shoot. That doesn't seem like a no. great option either. So it's, it's like, not. Okay. You want to you want to learn yourself. And that's right. there were so many firsts in your progression of skydiving. Like the first time you jump with you know not tandem with mm-hmm. two instructors, and the first okay. time you jump uh, and by yourself, and the first time you jump like. You know, at the time there's a low altitude jump called a hop and pop. And now I jump them no problem because I actually, I actually almost prefer them if I'm just doing canopy work. But at the time, no, what's a hop and pop? You just go to like 4,000, 5,000 feet jump and get out of the plane, get stable and pool and okay. open up your parachute. And at the time people like scare you because they're like, well, you know, you, as a student, you usually deploy your parachute at 5,000 feet and you're going to jump out at 5,000. Like, whoa what if you hit the ground you know right and so in, it bugs you in your head but you do it and you find out everything's fine right so there's that and then there's the first time that you pack your own parachute right and then once you get your license there's the first time that you have to go out you have to rent your own you have to pack it yourself you have to like do all your own safety checks 
everything's all by yourself. Dude, that stresses me out. For as much as I forget my own wallet in the house or misplace my keys. Yeah. The man, that's a nerve-wracking that's a nerve-wracking task. It's it like, can be. Fuck. Yeah. I lose my keys more than than you do, I guarantee it. Oh, I really? must be willing to bet it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so it's not just me. You're you're, oh, yeah. you're a normal human being cuz I look at I look at Billy Becerra as like this dude's a superman. He does everything. No. And I'm just because right. you did your, you, you did, well, I mean, it was assisted, but your second jump was not tandem. It right, was, my second jump. It was that assisted right. uh, jammy, which, yeah, man. So it's like, you're you're the inspiration. It's like, Billy did. I, I, want, I want my second jump to be that. Yeah, but um, we're ready. And skydiving month is May. So. Do, in May, that's right. Where what, what is that? If you get certified or they, they have some sort of specials in May, got, right? Yeah, they it's got, like national they got specials month. in May. And some, some drop zones participate <clears> and then... Um, it's, it's like super discounted. I think in some places you actually can do it for free. So wait, wait, say it again. I think I, you do you like get... your first, your first jump course for free. Really? Yeah. But not get licensed. No, that's, that's a few okay, thousand bucks. That's, okay. 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 Yeah. I definitely want to get licensed. Um, so going back. So yeah, you, you were absolutely, yeah, man, you're mad, mad. Second one, you, you just want to go and get your solo license as quick as possible. And that's nine jumps. But then you ended up liking this so much, you started your own, uh, was it a leasing company or right. something? It was a cloud nine, right? Yeah. So I have a business that, um, it, it happened one night when there was night jumps, right? And I was super excited and I wanted to jump at night so bad, but I, at the time I didn't own my own gear. And, um, when you rent gear, you don't get to take it home. But at the same time, buying gear is a pretty hefty investment. Right. And so there was a guy on the plane and I was literally like, Hey, can I like rent your rig for the night? And he, he, he answered the same way I would answer anybody. Oh no. No. Right. <laughs> right. And right. I'm like, how come there's not a way for people to, to get a rig that they can take home and like rent lease and keep that same rig. Cause a lot of times you'd have to show up like an hour before the place even opened because they only had one size that fits you and, and they somebody have- else came and got it. Then you weren't jumping for the day and it was pain in the ass. Oh wow. And it, a lot of times that forced people to jump <clears throat> smaller canopies than they were ready for. Right. Mm-hmm. And it becomes dangerous. So you go in there and you've been jumping a two ten square foot canopy and you get there early. And then one day you get there and there's no more two tens. Now the canopy is the size of the shoot. Right. Right. Okay. And, um, so you go in and you're used to like this 210. You got whatever, how many jumps, small amount of jumps, right? And then that's like, well, we don't have anything except for the 190, which is the next step down. And a lot of times I'm not going to get in my car and drive back home. I'm, I think I'm ready for it. I have no, I, really, I have no idea if I'm ready for it. And neither does the guy that works there. Right, right. But He's just whatever. Gear, right? Yeah, take it. And you take it and you jump. And then you go through that, you go through that process. Okay, cool. Everything was fine. And then you go through that process again. And the next thing you know, they're out of 190s that ne- that next time, and you go down to a 170. Before you know it, you're making these downsizes and canopies way faster than you should. Than be. you should, mm-hmm. right? And then there's a big fear that people don't want to buy their gear. They don't want to spend five thousand dollars on something that's like a 190, mm-hmm. when theoretically, in 50 jumps from now, they're going to be down to like a 170 or a 150, right? So they want to like hurry up and hurry up and hurry up and get to a size that's comfortable before they buy. So I saw like a really big window there of opportunity where people were tired of renting, but, um, were dangerously pushing themselves faster than they really should 
just to get something that they could take home. So I talked to some manufacturers. I became a dealer and started leasing them. And it actually works. It works out really well. And I have multiple markets. My one market, that's my main market, right? New skydivers Mm -hmm. where they want their gear so bad because they just started the sport, right? They're super impatient. I can relate. want it. Yes. Everybody <laughs> right. gets that, right? And whatever sport right. you start, you like want everything and you want it now and you want the best top the of the line. good stuff, right. right. Especially if you're jumping out of a plane. Right. Yeah, I want my stuff. Right. It's just really- I don't want a bargain like, basement right. deal. I don't want, exactly. And that's how everybody justifies it to themselves to open up their wallet. And at the end of the day, um, I found that there was other markets on the side where like on the professional side, guys have are training for world championships or whatever. They will have multiple rigs. They'll have like two or three because they get on a plane, they jump, let somebody pack it while they just put it on and get on the next plane. And so wait, do they have competitive skydiving or something? Oh yeah, skydiving how, is a huge sport. Wait, what? How, how does this work? What's this? So there's multiple disciplines in skydiving. Okay. There's um, like, I never knew this. Yeah. There's free flying, there's belly flying, there's wing suiting, there's canopy, and then like, and there's multiple disciplines in all of them. You can have you, like individual, and then you have like four ways, eight ways, teams, right? And what do they do? They judge formations and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, and they have they have formations, and some of them are artistic, and then some of them are like just technical. actually, um, they have points. Like so, you everybody jumps out of the plane, and then every time you link together, it's a point. Right. So point and then they switch and connect again, point and then switch. Whoa. And then it's like a point. It's a system where how many Whoa. points they get before they need to break off and open their parachute. And so that, there's and there's a, so many different disciplines. in skydiving. So how how does that work as far as the altitude? Because when we jumped, that was a 13,000 yeah, feet. It's, right? it's for the most part, it's, you jump at the same altitude. OK. Is that Some pretty much them, a standard? It's about? pretty well. It, it really has to do with the oxygen level okay. ceiling. Okay. Right, so we're we're at sea level, okay. so we're right there, like that's about the longest <clears throat> legal jump you're gonna get. Right? Okay. You can get up to fourteen thousand when passengers start needing, uh, or pilots start needing oxygen. Okay, and it they just you know for it's oxygen reasons you're not going any higher. So, so if you go to Las Vegas, they're only taking you ten thousand feet up because above they're the higher they're already two thousand, three thousand feet above whatever they are above sea level. So pretty much wherever you go, and they're not doing any skydiving at a Big Bear. You um, can, but it's, you just have to compensate for the altitude of the ground. So they're going on one of those five, the the pop and hop deals, right? Kind maybe, they're, they're, it, and it depends, right? So okay, um, a hop and pop would say you're like, is it? theoretically just enough altitude for you to jump get stable pull your parachute and if you have a malfunction cut away and, and go to your reserve okay right so if you're jumping into like a stadium or whatever a lot of times these guys are just doing quick cop and pops they just jump out get stable fly their canopy down and land in the stadium but you have out there's definitely altitudes you can jump in the mountains there's people that jump in mount everest and it's only so high mm-hmm. off the ground right in altitude and you just you just make the and if it's and if it's that high, you just take oxygen with you. I mean, I did a thirty thousand foot jump, and I just there's no air at thirty thousand feet, so I had to take oxygen with me. Right. So what is it? One of those? Uh, does it pump into your helmet, or is it one of these? It's like uh, you know, like in Top Gun, where they got a mask. Oh, over okay, their face. okay, yeah. It's like that. And then where does that air come from? Some sort of pack. Right. So you, there was on the airplane there was a machine mm-hmm. that the oxygen tech. I think he made the machine 
and uh, it basically <laughs> takes a little guy pumping like yeah, a bicycle pump. No, it was like compressed <laughs> air that it would convert it in, into oxygen, into like 100% oxygen. And we sat there and, and ha- had that pumping into our system for an hour before takeoff. And then mm-hmm. the plane took an hour to get to 30,000 feet. And um, then at, right before we were about to exit the plane, we switched over to um, bottles that we had strapped to us with 100% air or 100% oxygen. Okay. Um, it's not the same as scuba dive. Right. Right. Cause that's a mix. Okay. So, so like, it's not self. Yeah. That has nitrogen in there right. as well. Right. Um, so anyways, I'm not a technician on oxygen, but I did know that it was different and you had to take it because of it's a lot more dangerous, uh, than scuba diving for okay. sure. Um, yeah. The consequences are but pretty once dire. you get, once you get down to like 15,000 feet, you know, that was the danger zone from 30,000 to 15,000. You got uh-huh. down, you got down that through that so fast. Really? So this was, uh, and this is called halo, mm-hmm. halo jump, which is uh, high altitude, high altitude. And technically the acronym is high altitude, low opening. But oh. since I'm not doing it for military purposes, right. there's no reason for me to open low, open low. Right. Right. So is there, what, what's, what's the science or what's the formula at what, what point you should open? Cause it seems like once that shoot opens, you pretty much have a lot of control over it. Are you constantly slowing down like uh, the, the further you descend and everything? Because when, to me, the sensation is as soon as that thing open, you get that initial yank, then you're under control. You're or, under control the whole time. You're, right. So, well, yeah, even in the free fall to mm-hmm. some, to, to some extent, but uh, what, what's the, what's the um, pretty much the, the hard top. I don't know what you call it. The hard deck to where you guys open. It's about 5,000 feet. Uh, th- I mean, I typically open at 3,000 feet. 3, and that's just... And that's normal. I give myself 1,000 feet to have it open. If I don't have a good parachute by 2,000 feet, then oh, I get rid of it. Okay. Oh, okay. So, essentially, that's just a buffer so you can open up the, the right. spare chute or anything so like that. So, the reserve, it would go like normal. It's like, I open at 3,000, take it down. If I don't have something good, or which I at least think is going to be good by 2,000, then chop it. And it gives you another thousand feet to have it open and get ready for your landing pattern. Find a place to land. And if I've had two cutaways, yeah. luckily I was right over the top of the normal drop zone. But I've I've landed off like I've flown my wingsuit and got lost. So yeah, that that begs the million dollar question. I'm sure you get asked all the time: Is did you have any mishaps in yeah. skydiving? Well, and not even close I, calls. Um, let, let's not even get into the wingsuit yet, but just like parachuting, skydiving. Have you had any mishaps to where? Yeah, to pull the the spare chute and why only in my only in my wingsuit so far. Just the wingsuit. Yeah. yeah. The last time, if I recall, you only had two mishaps. I'm still at two. Okay, you're still <laughs> at two. You're off against the third one. I'm gonna take that as a signal. Right. So what 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 are some of the things that go wrong with a wingsuit? There's just so much more surface area to control. It's just, okay. It's like you have to be more deliberate in your movement, right? It's definitely got to be more deliberate, deliberate in your movement, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to opening your parachute. And that's where I went wrong. When one of my mistakes was I was really relaxed. Relaxed is a good term because you want to be relaxed, but I was like slow about it, which just there's fabric between your legs. And when you close your arms, all that fabric is in, in the, on the, in your back end between your legs. And it, pushed my head down right okay. so i was like headed straight down to, to the ground nosedive and i was and it was so fast that i actually went back underneath myself so i'm doing like a somersault 
while that's I'm, a big no-no, right? Yeah, while I'm while I'm upside down, while I'm deploying my parachute, so my parachute wants to come like from underneath me, and oh, okay. um, it was too late. I'd already had it. I already had my pilot chute out in the air. It was coming out. Oh, whoa. Okay. It came out. It was messed up. And um, luckily, I was very prepared because I knew I'm like, oh, this is going to be a cutaway. I, I'm 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 horrible body position right now. Mm-hmm. And so I was prepared. It came out. It was bad. It didn't take me half a second to, to get rid of it because I knew it was going to be horrible. Okay. So before it even had a chance to get tangled or anything. It was yeah, it didn't really get tangled. It, mm-hmm. was, it got this line twist. Um Okay. Like if you're sitting on a swing and you get the kids like spin right. around in circles and you get a line t- or a twist, mm-hmm. it was like that, but it was so bad that I, I was like a centrifugal force where I was just spinning like around. I was on my back and I pulled my, cut it away and went to my reserve and my reserve was open and like, before no. I never even had, to, I never even had to pull the, my reserve oh, uh, okay. ripcord because it was already out. Oh, you, oh, you were able to get the twist out. No, it, the when you pull a cutaway handle, okay, um, there's a device called a sky hook. So basically, oh. it uses your main canopy to pull out your reserve canopy, and then it's a redundancy factor that you have a like a reserve ripcord. Okay, and it, the reserve canopy came out so fast, I never even had to pull out my reserve ripcord because the canopy was already above my head. Oh, okay. So being chest up on any kind of skydive, that's bad, right? When you're deploying your parachute. Okay, only at the time of deployment. Right. You can be at any body position, oh, whatever, okay. during the skydive. Okay. Yeah, a lot. Most of my skydives, I'm on the, I'm on my head, oh. or on my feet, like standing up in so, in the air. So that nose dive, it's all well and good when you mean to do it. When it's you mean purpose. to do it, right? Okay, but because I'm sure, you know, the speed that you go, every movement means something. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it changes your pitch, your angle, and all that stuff. So, um, to me, just kind of thinking everything through. Because it's so foreign to me. It's not pulled. There's no, well, I should say there's very little friction. You, you you don't swim and move the same way in the air as you would in a pool of water. Right. So, you know, turning over, it's to me, it's how do you even, you know, spin? Is it uh, hand positions? How do you how do you even do that and make those rotations where you go chest up, chest down? And um, I mean, there's definitely like. And at what point do you experiment? Do that? You experiment the whole time. Right. You get to the point where I, you don't think I don't think about it. Right. I know that if I close one wing, it, you'll basically have this like back and forth effect. Right. Because you'll, you'll be like here and be like flip over and then flip over and back and forth. OK. And you can do that. So there's there's any little movement you make is going to have an effect. And after a while, your body just learns when you do something with your hand or you do something with your foot or you do something with your knees or whatever, your body just starts to learn that. And then you don't have to think about it anymore. Like you don't think when you're walking right foot, right. left foot, right foot, left foot, right. You just walk. Right. Right. And if you're running full speed and there's a hole in the ground, you don't have to right think foot, left foot, left right foot, jump, left, jump, right. You don't have to do that. Your body <laughs> right. just does it. And that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Right. You on. Know, I'd probably be a horrible teacher. Cause I, just do it. Just do Bro, it. Just man. get out there and go. <laughs> Stop being a yeah. little bitch. Just go. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, okay. So that that was one of the mishaps. Was the other one pretty much more of the same thing? It was pretty much more of the same thing. Yeah. Oh man, that I mean, but it's not. I, you know, people shouldn't be scared of skydiving. It's not that. Um, no, they like should be scared of wingsuiting. <laughs> if you if you know what you're doing, I'm. I was just, you know, dabbling in something that's super dangerous that I'm not good at yet. 
Right. And and you you've, There's a learning curve. And you've been you've been wingsuiting multiple times after these incidents, right? Oh yeah. So okay. Yeah. So you you probably earned a little buffer on the third cutaway, right? Like you're not going to call it quits if you have one more cutaway. I don't know. It depends on how how gnarly it how is. Bad right? it you know, I'm right. married and I have a kid and at some point you have to sit back and go what am I doing? What here? am I doing? <laughs> right? right? I I know I'm pushing the limits by skydiving. You know, and that's how I I really started a business because I knew that if I didn't get professionally involved with the sport, my family was going to say, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. We're just recreationally, just jumping out of airplanes for no good reason. But since I'm professionally involved with it and then it's almost like, okay, that's what he does for a living. Right. So it made it quasi acceptable with my family. Right. Cause there, yeah, there's some financial interest right. in, in this. Yeah. And you know, that goes back to what we were talking about before we even started the podcast is do something. I mean, it's the old cliche, you know, do something that you're passionate about. You'll never work a day in your life. Exactly. You right. Know? And it, it totally makes sense. And, and speaking of passions and, and causes and things like that, you just got done running, um, an Ironman triathlon and uh, you're, you're heavily active and tough mutters and apparently triathlons now mm-hmm. it, that, that's been a later evolution, right? Right. The triathlons. But this wasn't your first one. You've, you've run a couple of them before, right? Triathlons. This triathlons. Is my, that was my first Ironman. First Ironman. Right. Is there a difference between? Yeah. Big difference. Big difference. It's, a, it's just distance. Okay. So yeah. it's everything times two or something. Right. Okay. Um, but you have a cause. Yeah. So March was, March twentieth, two thousand seventeen. Right. Right. So that it was kind of goes all the way back to this story with my sister and I went partying and then I had the eye awakening moment and I got into all these um, activities mm-hmm. and I ran the LA and I was like the coup de gras. Okay, I'm gonna run the LA marathon. Ran the LA marathon. Uh, my wife was pregnant at the time, and literally the day I ran the LA marathon that night. Uh, she went into labor with our second child. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I was, I remember thinking, I'm like, Oh, awesome. I'm going to get like the whole week off. I'm just going to chill and relax yeah. from my run and everything will be good. Like this, it, it couldn't have happened any better. Like everything was planned perfect. Mm-hmm. And, um, until it wasn't right. Right. My wife, she had an emergency C-section. Um, and then we had found out that our son was born with a heart condition. And, um, when like he, when he was born, he came out, he was, he was purple. He like, he was pretty much dead when they, when they delivered him and then they resuscitated him back to life. But it was, I knew there was something wrong. Right. I'd, I'd seen the purpose or I'd seen the process before my, with my daughter. I know what a baby's supposed to look like when they come out. And, um, the doctor was checking him, checking him, checking him. And my wife was right there. She just had a C-section. So she's like behind the curtain, doesn't see anything. She's like, oh my God, is he okay? Everything's good. And she doesn't even know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, everything's awesome. He looks great. And um, if you've never seen a C-section, like kudos to women after going through that. I, <laughs> right. You know, you think C-section, blah, 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 like whatever, you know, it's like surgery. They're just no words, deal. right. They cut them open like I thought it was out of a horror movie. I mean, their her organs were like laid out right. on trays. I I don't understand how they even survive a C-section. I have no idea because it looked to me like she was modern dead, medicine. Right? It looked is like crazy. she got ran over by a train, mm-hmm. and it, it was like super overwhelming. Trying not to make her panic because 
she looks like she's just been run over by a train. Mm-hmm. I'm telling her, oh, then, you know, we're going to take him back to the nursery and everything's, everything's fine. Doctor's checking him out. There's, it's not fine. Um, so they wrap him up and call the NICU unit from Queen of the Valley Hospital. They come rushing over. Got him all inside of a like a little baby incubator, mm-hmm. and he's got wires in and out like he's in a bird's nest. Um, run over to Queen of the Valley Hospital. Doctor comes out, says, "I'm gonna take a look. Go get something to eat. You've had a long day." I go. <clears throat> I went to um, Panera with my sister, and literally like sat down, and I'm like, "Take a deep breath." My phone rings. The doctor, you need to come back right now. I'm like, okay, go back. And he tells me, this is really complex. This is not something we can handle here. You got to go to Children's Hospital. So we're about, um, it's probably, I don't know, it was like 8 p.m. He was born in the morning. So it's been. So where are we, where are we now? We're in Temple City? Are we in Temple We were City? in Covina. Covina. Okay. And, and we're talking about St. Jude's, right? No, Children's Hospital, Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. Okay. So we get in the hospital or we get an ambulance and we go over to Children's Hospital. And at this point, like you fear the worst right away. Of course. Right? You're not going to make, he's not going to make it. Um, and there's like, there's so much emotion that goes in, in, into it, right? You've got, um, you feel like alone, but you also have to feel like the father and the, and the provider and the, you know, the yep. guy that's going to take care of everything, but the you pillar. have, mm-hmm. right. But you don't have, you don't know, you don't know how to do it. You have no clue what to do. And, um, everybody's left behind, right? My wife couldn't go. Everybody, I had to go by myself. My sister met me at the hospital, which was, was awesome. Right. I, I'd found out that my family was, I had an amazing support from my family, mm-hmm. um, through this whole experience. But you go through that and it's just gut wrenching. And then the next morning he had his first heart surgery. Um, he got diagnosed yet what's called uh, aortic stenosis with a um, hyperplastic arch, which is in layman's terms means that his heart, that blood flowing into his heart was flowing in from a, like a size one hose mm-hmm. and flowing out like a size 10. So it wasn't um, being supplied with enough. Like, blood. Yeah, I'm sorry. Take that backwards flying in with a size 10 okay. and flying out with a one. And so the blood was going into his heart, but it wasn't getting out. Up, right. right. And his heart was just expanding like a big water balloon. Okay. And, um, so they went in a catheterization process where they go in through like hit, hit the vein in his groin, fish it all the way up into his heart with a little camera, rip a hole and kind of equalize the pressure on his heart. But it had already done some damage to the point. It's like pulling a muscle, right? When you're running. So he, his heart muscle was, was uh, damaged from being stretched out. Surgeons come in the next morning, talk about how everything is going to happen, what we're going to do, and um, schedule them for an open heart surgery, which was like a week later. So spent the first week at Children's Hospital. Over that course of that time, my wife was able to come out from her procedure, meet him, spend a lot of time there. Um, and then it, it's really weird how, how life like can take whatever you're involved with and it, it just makes everything that seems important unimportant takes things that maybe you took for granted and makes them feel like like the world the world right um you feel like an old wise man when you're kind of through with it and I, it's lessons in life that i learned that i would love to try to explain to people but i don't think you understand them until you either live a full life 
and you see people around you die or um, you go through a situation like this and it's you don't want anybody to understand but at the same time I'm, I'm like grateful that I have the, the wherewithal to, to understand these things right rather than just turn around and blame God or to fall into a depression or right. whatever so <clears throat> as I'm sitting in the hospital um, you find out all the hospital staff everybody there works out right everybody's like doing you know a handful of people did the marathon and they're mm-hmm. like oh yeah well if you did the marathon there's a triathlon that supports the hospital you should do it and immediately I saw all the good things that the hospital was doing mm-hmm. I wanted to do everything that I could do regardless of whatever the outcome was with my son I saw kids there that were walking out of the door. I remember, and they were like ringing the bell that they were cancer free. You know, so so many things that were like, there were so many, so many happy moments that were coming out of there that were just like, um, not something you see happen out of a normal hospital. Like this, these are any kid that's going in there is pretty much days are numbered. Mm -hmm. And somehow a lot of the time they're very successful in, in saving these kids lives. So I was like, whatever it is, I'm doing it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what a triathlon is, but I'm going to do it. Uh, I ran the marathon, right? So, and I jump out of airplanes. Like, <laughs> right? How bad can it be? How bad can it be? <laughs> oh, so they have like two classes. They have a long one and a short one. And the short one is like a bunch of celebrities and people. Zac Efron does it. And uh-huh. I, uh, I'm like, there's no way I'm doing the short one, right? Yeah, I'm doing the long you're, one. You're going in. I'm going that's, on, you're 110%, 110% guy. <laughs> so right. I signed up to do the long one without having any idea what I was doing, right? <laughs> And, um, that's one dude right there. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't even know like a road bike. I, I no clue. Right. I didn't know. Like, I just thought, well, I rode BMX was a kid. I, I could definitely ride 30 like miles. Bunny hop. Yeah. I can ride 30 <laughs> right. miles on a bike. Right. I swim in my swimming pool. I jump off the roof into my pool. I can swim in the ocean. I can swim a mile, right? Like, bro, I'm crazy, bro. Yeah. I can, I do, can it. do this. <laughs> I just ran the marathon. I can easily run six miles. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> Such a meathead move. Yeah. So I, I put that in. I signed up. And it was all good. Oh, a week later, my son has open heart surgery. Um, surgery went great. He had the best heart surgeon in the world, Dr. Von Starnes. That just did Arnold Schwarzenegger's heart, heart surgery. Like, really is the best surgeon in the world. It's not like, um, it's not an opinion, right? It's a fact. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when I, when I was told that, I knew right away that I'm like, well, you, you don't get the best surgeon in the world unless you have the, Some the worst case in the world. Right. right? <clears throat> and um, so they did the surgery. He came back. He said the surgery went great. He was super excited. They put him on, but he wasn't, his heart wasn't strong enough because of that initial swelling um, to pump on its own. Right. And so they had to supply it or support it with what's called an ECMO machine and basically that takes the blood right out of your heart it's a tube literally poked into your heart blood comes out filters through it puts oxygen in it controls the temperature and then sends it back into the other side of your heart and helps you your body pump the blood and um kind of like a pacemaker well a pacemaker will help your heart like beat okay right this is like literally a pump just a pump like a pool pump it looks it looks like a pump that you see on this on the side of your house by the pool okay and except instead of filled with water, it's full of blood. All right. And the dangers that are involved with it are when, as soon as your blood exits the body, it wants to coagulate or wants to clot, right? right. Stop the bleeding. 
So when your blood's running through this machine, it's trying to clot. And so to counter that, they put them on, they put you on blood thinners and the, your body can only survive so long. On blood Especially thinners. when you're an infant, infant, right? He's only mm-hmm. seven days old. Mm-hmm. So he's on blood thinners. And at some point, um, he's on the machine. Like they wanted him off the machine in a couple of days to one, like, like one, two days and two days turned into three and three turned into four. And they were going, wow. You know, the, his heart is still not strong enough. It's making improvements. Mm-hmm. It's just still not strong enough. Now, where's your headspace as this is going on? I mean, do you, are you yeah, celebrating you have, little mini victories? Or? Yeah, you do. You celebrate mini victories every day, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have some surgeons that will tell it to you like he's not going to make it. And then you have some surgeons that tell you, I've seen this before. He's going to make it, mm-hmm. right? I can tell by his attitude. I can tell by everything's, everything's improving. We just need mm-hmm. it to improve faster. We just need it to improve faster. And the truth is, is that nobody really knows. Right. Right. The truth is, is that you've seen kids in the same situation and some of them make it and some of them don't. And unfortunately, um, he had like a, a, a breakdown in his body because he was on these blood thinners and it was just, you can't blame it because there's no way he would have survived without the machine. So he needed the machine to survive, but ultimately it's kind of what led to his demise. So he had a he had a breakdown and it kind of started somewhere in his gut and we knew that because um, he had cha- we changed his diaper in the middle of the night and it was full of blood, mm. right? And at that moment there was like a like you could tell you could just tell by the look in his face it just started to sink in a little bit. And um, Alicia was at home. I was sleeping in the hospital. You know this was going on starting week three, and it was like hey, it's over, right? So we did a CAT scan or whatever the scan's called where they measure your brain just to make sure. And it basically lost function, um, went brain dead, and he passed away. Technically, he passed away on April 4th when we took him off the ECMO machine. We cut the ECMO machine off, and then you know, he passed away. Um, so when, when he passed away, you know, you can take that in, in, in different ways. You can take that as an opportunity to lay down in bed and cry. Um, but for me, just my nature, I had to find a way to make his life like worthwhile. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was an inaugural event called walk LA that they started there. And so that same hospital and everything, same hospital. And before I knew what that was, I just signed up and did that too. Cause that's what you do. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And, um, we signed up and it caught fire. Um, Luckily, my, my wife's dad, he's an entertainer. Mm-hmm. He's got fans all around the world. And it took a little you know, note from him, and this thing just spread like fire. And we ended up raising $100,000 for the hospital. You know? And so it was like, it makes you feel better because it makes you feel like, wow, in, in two weeks, he was able to really accomplish a lot with his life. He not only, like, is literally saving kids lives in the hospital with all the efforts. But he taught me more about life than, than I've, I learned in the first 31 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, he learned, he taught me how to appreciate my wife, how to appreciate my kid, my, uh, my other kid, my daughter, right? Right. My mom, my sisters, everything just became um, like 
of the vibrant colors you see. The vibrant colors you see when you first jump out of an airplane, right? Your body sends that adrenaline through you when you first jump out of an airplane. And the only way you can say it is that you see colors that nobody else sees, right? That's the only way you can explain it. Right. It's not that you were so scared and you're glad to be alive. It's just that it's like you walked through the valley of death and you came out on the other side. And, but you're not scared to turn around and walk right, right back through it again. Right. And um, I didn't necessarily need that because I, w- I appreciated life through skydiving. But this took it to a whole nother level. And I felt like it allowed everybody in my family to appreciate life the way I did. Because yeah, they're all looking at looking at life and life's challenges, obstacles through the eyes of Rex. Right. At this point. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I mean, he serves as um, he serves as uh, perspective on everything else. Right. It's a, I mean, you talk about an anchor point. Any, I mean, just being a parent, just being a parent, just on a standard basis, everything goes well. You tend to, as a parent, look at things through your kid's eyes. But going back to what you were saying have how much you learned in such short amount of time, that's such an anchor point to relate to everything. Oh, that's something that you and your son went through together right. and talk about lifelong experiences. I mean, it, it could only happen in seconds, let alone three weeks, right. you know? So that's, um, that's pretty powerful. And the organization there, what was it? Uh, is it save a heart? The, oh, save the, the heartbeat. Save, save right. the heartbeat. So they, that, um, that's a foundation uh, that directly supports CHD, which is con- congenital heart disease. It's what okay. what my son had. But it, congenital heart disease is a very generic term for a heart condition, right? Um, one in one hundred kids will have CHD. Um, there's more kids born with CHD than than all cancers combined. Uh, more kids die from it from all, than all cancers combined. Um, wow, really? Right. It's it's really common. It's it's really common. My well, my sister has it. I have, and it's somewhat genetic. But then there's also cases that it's just random. Mm-hmm. Um, but Save the Heartbeat was started by a lifelong friend of mine, Danielle. Her uh, maiden name was Park. So Danielle Park, growing up, but now she's married, and her last name is Maloof. Um, literally, like carpooled with her to kindergarten went elementary school junior high my entire childhood mm-hmm. right i like i said earlier i went to bishop Mott, she went to glendora high and then we kind of didn't see or talk to Lost each other contact. for years mm-hmm. before rex had his issue her she had a son who had chd um the, the same brand uh that rex had no, or it's a okay. different one okay I, I should know it off but, the top of my head but i don't I mean, it, these these names are in Latin. Yeah, it's sometimes, hard. To- <laughs> sometimes I, I even forget like what Rex had. Right. And um, but he had open heart surgery. Same surgeon, same hospital. Much like the stories are so similar. So walked a similar There's path. Some involvement with the LA Marathon with her. She did the LA Marathon, and that's really? when she found out she was pregnant. And it was like our stories line up like it's eerie wow. how much they line up. Yeah. But, she started this foundation, Save the Heartbeat. And when we were going through everything we were going through, they were like a saving grace because I could ask her questions um, comfortably because I knew her. But it was questions that, I, you know, where do you turn? Who do you ask? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is this normal? Is this not normal? Right? Like it, whatever the procedures are, they're coming in and they're doing something, right? Is this normal? Is it, is that weird? Is it something they did with you or, um, you know, like how long am I going to be here? Not that I wasn't a rush to get out, but I, I had a mortgage. I have a job. I've got all these things that, you know, at some point, if you're just sitting in a hospital for months and months you're and not, months, you're not providing, right. You're not providing. So there's a whole lot of things that I was able to talk to her about. And, um, they were really a saving grace. Like I never expected to be, I knew I was going to be in the hospital for at least two days when my wife was having a baby, but I didn't expect to be there for like three weeks. So when they came and they brought toiletries and things like that, it's like they, they knew what you needed when you're living in a hospital. Right. right. And, um, so they were like saving grace. And on the same token, uh, once Rex had passed, they gave us a platform to take this energy that we had and and do something with it, right? And, and do and something productive rather than lay back and, and become depressed. Right, right. They kept kept you active, kept you busy. And that, that's what I was about to say. It, it seems like the support group of the people you met along the way as well that um, – I mean, in situations like this, I'm sure it's pretty surprising to see the outreach and the support of people who really a week before that didn't even know you, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, so my wife's dad is the, was a bass player for Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Michael Anthony. The lead singer of that band back in the 80s was David Lee Roth. Uh, they have not had any contact for years. And when this all happened and the word spread out, David Lee Roth donated ten thousand dollars. Wow! Right, and it was, and it was crazy. Like I, I don't know him at all. Never met him, and I, I think they had not talked in so long. I think my daughter had only met him once over the course of her life, mm-hmm. and there's ten thousand dollars just boom here, some support from him, and then all the fans all over across the country rallied. Yeah, I had people from work you know, word spread. And, and there was like so many people that at work at, and some of them, I thought didn't even like me. I thought they were always like, well, well Billy's an asshole. <laughs> right. right. And then they From came, some of the things you may have done. Uh, yeah. And then people were out like coming out to support you and it, you, it feel you like it's, it's really hard to explain. You don't ever want, you don't want to be like the person that has to a charity case, a charity case. Right. Um, and that's why I think, you know, I wasn't out looking for money for myself. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't take away my pride when I'm when I was pushing the streets, asking people to donate to the hospital. Right, I, I made no money. I, this this whole ordeal cost me a ton of money, mm-hmm. and I'd do it again in a heartbeat, right? Because of the results that I saw from it, and we are doing it again. The, and the people, the people that helps and everything, right? And we are doing it again. We're, we've got the same team that we started last year raised over a hundred thousand dollars. It's um, on June second. It's going to be at the L.A. Coliseum. Which, uh, we're going to do it again. The, the L.A. Kings, or at least portion of the L.A. Kings are going to be there and the L.A. Galaxy. and um, It's going to be this. It's going to be a pretty cool event. They're going to step it up from last year. and um, Right on. So we're going to try to do that every year. So June, June 2nd, L.A. Coliseum. And is there a, a, a website? There anything? is. Um, it is. It comes out of the CHLA website. I, okay. I don't know the, the link off the top of my head. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get it and I'll post it yeah, in the, I'll the give description. That to you. 
The team name is Rex and the Heartbeaters. Rex and the Heartbeaters. Yeah, everybody's welcome to <laughs> right, join the team. Right on. So what, what exactly is the event? Is it a marathon? No, it's just a walk. Oh, it's a walk. Right. Okay. It's just a walk. Last year it was at Griffith Park, and it was just a walk around the park. Just a cool day. They had food trucks, um, live music, and big games for to- like carnival games for for kids and bounce houses. And it was just a co- it was just a cool day for everybody to hang out. And um, they're just going to step it up a little bit this year and have Dang, it at the Coliseum. The Coliseum. And it's <laughs> not like it's not yeah it's not a marathon. It's not something you have to be in shape to do. You just mm. go out, take some time, and donate have some fun. one dollar, donate a hundred dollars, mm. donate ten thousand mm. dollars, whatever whatever you want. Um, and it supports like an, an amazing cause, right? And I can sit here and tell you that even though my son didn't make it, I can still, I still see the results from this place. And it's, it's an amazing place, right? I, I hope nobody ever has to go there because it's painful to walk in the door, but you see a lot of kids walk out pain free. Right. Right. And just that alone, it kind of makes it worth it. Oh, 100%. Um, so I got, Sign up going back, did the walk, everything was cool. And, but for my own personal deal, you know, I was going to put in the training, the blood, sweat, and tears into this triathlon, right? Mm-hmm. Because now this was kind of my tribute to my son. And I remember um, before when I was trying to schedule the podcast with you, you go, dude, after the triathlon, right? Like, all right. Well, so, that was the Ironman. This, or, or, this yeah, was the, the Ironman. I'm sorry. The first triathlon. Okay. Okay. First triathlon came. I trained hard. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the swim was awesome. The biking was short distance and the, the run was easy at that point. So what, what was the distance on these events on your first one? The first one, um, the, an Olympic, it was an Olympic distance. So it's 0.9, I think 0.92 of a mile. So it's just, just short of a mile swim. Okay. I believe it's 30 mile bike ride and a six mile run. Right. Individually, any one of those are pretty easy mm-hmm. if you train, right? And then you stack them on top of each other. It's it took me like two hours and forty minutes, so it's not it's not doesn't take really? all day, okay? But it's definitely it's a commitment. It's a commitment, right? right? So I did that, and that time frame and that whole the distance, awesome, loved it, right? But I had also and I raised another on top of that hundred thousand, hundred and ten thousand dollars that we raised. Um, go jump Oceanside because uh, this was kind of like my own separate deal from the walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we set up a fundraising event at a, at, a, at the drop zone. And, and this for, is uh, the, the group that you skydive with right, a lot the of place times. we went skydiving. Right. They set up a day that every tandem that came in, they donated money um, to, to the cause, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, them plus some more donations from some other people and uh, some of my other skydiving um, – manufacturers hmm. i ended up raising another seven thousand dollars on top of it right oh right on so it was really cool i was really proud of that and you got to have fun doing it got to have a lot of fun mm-hmm. and um uh, but uh, you know get past that cool i've just invested a crap ton of money <laughs> on uh, like a wetsuit a bike all the extra gear. I now have to have like a gym membership because I don't have a 25 yard <laughs> pool at my house. Right. I've got all these things that I'm spending all this money on and I'm going like, I can't be one and done. There's no way I can be one and done. Right. You're vested. Right. Right. So I get through and I'm like that everybody at work is 
Iron Man, Iron Man, Iron Man. I keep hearing Iron Man, Iron Man. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. So, anyways, I check out the website. And there's some pretty cool stuff on there. And I put in, like, a, my name in, in the, in like, subscription and the email. And then it says, boom, Iron Man, Oceanside. You know, this will sell out in one hour if you don't sign up. And I'm like, Oceanside, close to my house. It's right there by the job I'm zone. there all the time I'm anyway. there all the time. Right. Ah, I'll do it. Why not? Besides, I'm 110% guy. Right. That's what I do. Crazy. <laughs> so you signed so up for that? Signed up. And, now, wait, uh, what's the lead time on this one? This one was m- like months. I probably... Oh, okay. Six. I probably signed up for like six months. So it wasn't advance. like your first... Uh, uh, your first go at the uh, was was it was it your first triathlon where you I didn't have any idea what right. I was getting myself into. Yeah. Okay. So actually, the way it lined up on the calendar was, um, I did there was another Olympic distance triathlon that I signed up for down in Coronado hmm. that turned out to be like one day off from the day my son was born, right? Um, so it was kind of yeah. like a good way to like mark his birthday. Right. We went down there, spent the weekend. It was really cool. And the Ironman was two days after one year from his death. So to me, it's not like a reenactment of a a crucifixion. uh, Right. Like they do in the Philippines, you know, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On Easter and stuff. Oh, yeah. I wasn't trying to like, you know, do human sacrifice to myself to remember him. But it just kind of ended up that way. Right. And. Uh, that plus the save the heartbeat had a gala that was like a couple of weeks earlier and I was the keynote speaker and I gave a a speech on my, what my experience was in the hospital. I got a lot of, a lot more detail, um, like just about my real hospital visit. Mm -hmm. Um, but all those things kind of coupled together, like really put a really good bookend to the, what would have been one year of his life and all the amazing things that had happened. And it's, you know, it started out with, the walk and the raising hundreds of thousands of dollars and the support from the family and everything and ending with an iron man. Nice. So it, it was a really good bookend deal for me. It was something I needed to do the way it lined up on the calendar. It was like, it was just meant to be like, it was all fate, right? Like it, and it all goes back to that day. Cause there's no way I would have been able to train if I was still partying, right? right. I'm still just right. mildly drinking beers on the weekends. There's no way. Could have done it. Right. Could not have done that if it doesn't go all the way back to the day that my sister goes Went out, out on, a, on date, a date. Right. And or, you wanted to be a little asshole. Right. And wait with a, with a gun. And yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy how those small little innocuous moments, I mean, you could go either way. Right. You could just not take ownership of what you did that night and not accept like no they're too they're too sensitive stop being so sensitive right it's so easy to do mm-hmm. and all of us at some level are probably guilty of that kind of attitude um or you can say you know what i'm wrong and i need to be better i am better and then make the decision to go down that path and you know look, look what it turned into and even with the whole ordeal of rex again there's a crossroads moment how are you, you going to take this right and you know Especially, I mean, we're, we're joking. It's becoming a funny thing. I'm Mr. 110% guy. But in all reality, 110% could go down the dark path, which Very you're easily. always fighting that off. Right. I could have gone 110% dark path. Dark path. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, making, again, taking ownership of 
who you want to be, how you identify and go on the right path. I mean, look at all. I mean, you're telling me all this and I'm thinking this is amazing. It's in such a short spark. Again, Rex already has a legacy. Right. But the legacy is carried out by a strong family. I mean, you, Alicia, um, Nina is going to be a part of this whole thing. She's right. going to grow up with that story, you know, and it's kind of it's quite amazing. And that 110 percent on the bright side is really going to pan out. It, it already is. I mean, event one is at a public park. Event two is, is at a Coliseum. Right. That's a Coliseum, man. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm like when we did the meeting, because obviously our team dominated it. Our team was we were responsible for like 50 percent of the funds that were raised mm-hmm. or and or. I think we were, we were responsible for 50% of the people that were there, about a third of the, of the funds that were raised or something crazy. We, either way, if it wasn't for our team, that the event would have been a lot smaller than, <laughs> than right. it turned out to be. And I told them, like, hey, well, next year I'm skydiving into this thing, you know? Right, right. All right, so wrapping this up, it's time, time to get going. We've got, got to get your daughter home. Um June 2nd, the Coliseum. Well, we'll get the link. Yeah, June 2nd, the Coliseum. And I am going to do the Nautica Malibu triathlon again. Oh, you are? Yeah. So I'm doing both again. I'm doing the walk where everybody's invited to the Coliseum. And I'm also doing the Malibu oh, triathlon. Dude, your horizon's still busy. There's so, no time. Eh, no it'll time be to... fine. Right. You know, Any I... tough mutters in between? No, I got two Muttering. tough mutters at the end of the year. They'll be my number six and seventh. Oh, okay. Tough okay. mutter. And then um, as far as uh, leasing goes for uh, Cloud9, is it a Google search away? Or ha- how does that even work? Or is it specific word, to the place you go? Okay. It, um, I, I can advertise. Sometimes when – because I, I just run it by myself. Okay. Um, anytime I advertise, it gets it gets overwhelming. A little out of control. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of actually have to kind of limit my exposure. Plus, gotcha. I, I have a lot of capital out. Okay. Right. The way my leasing thing works, I buy it right. uh, from the manufacturer, and I hold the note on it while right. you pay me in increments. Right? right. And I don't get, I don't start breaking even until like, if it's on a two-year lease, I don't break even until like eight month eighteen. So hopefully they still have that passion of skydiving and want to keep up with their right. Payments. And there's there's things in in contracts that you know they can give it back early or they can sure. buy it out early or whatever. I got all that stuff. All right. Out, but sometimes if I get too far, I get too many customers, all of a sudden I can have a whole lot of money out there. and gets a little bit risky. It's almost like a good problem to have. Um, it is a good problem yeah. to have. But, uh, okay, well, we'll just put that out there, and then I'll let you deal with it as it may. <laughs> but uh, anything else you want to get out before we end this bad boy? Uh, no. I mean, if anybody's watching, or you know, ch- definitely check out the Walk LA for the Support CHLA. The Nautica Malibu Triathlon also supports CHLA and Save the Heartbeat Foundation. They sell uh, women's jewelry, and 100% of the proceeds go to supporting CHD. Right on. Um, Billy Becerra, you're a madman. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.